0: Welcome to Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media, and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. And today, I'm sitting down with Natty Davy, who is an experienced Australian marketer with, with Quite frankly, an impressive track record of roles across brands like Holden, Cricket Australia, Origin Energy and NAB. So welcome, Natalie. It's great to find the time with you.
1: Thank you. Um,
0: so there's lots that we could talk about. And obviously, we've worked together on, on a couple of things in the past, which yeah. we'll probably get on to. Um, but I'm really interested, first off, to talk a little bit about the transition from auto to sports marketing. So for the last three years, for the benefit of our listeners, you were with uh, you were with Cricket Australia and you arrived there from Holden, which is a really interesting category move. So from a professional perspective, what drew you to sports? And give me a sense of the, your experience comparatively between the two categories.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting that you make that comparison just between Holden and then moving into sport. If I think about my whole life and think about where my career started, I've always pivoted. Like I've never taken a linear approach. I mean, I have a degree in nursing, I went and worked in the mines for five years up in the Northern Territory (laughs) driving cranes. Um, You know, and then I went travelling overseas, which is when I found my love of marketing. So, um, you know, my foray, I guess, into marketing was quite untraditional. And I think that also followed in the roles that I've had Mm. and the companies I've worked for. So creative agencies, moving into banking, moving into utilities, then moving into auto. So I haven't actually ever stayed in one industry. Fair
0: enough,
1: yeah. Um, I think from a sport perspective, I just grew up family of sport. We played everything, tennis, netball, basketball, volleyball, you name it, we played it. And so sport has always been a significant part of who I am and part of my story and my family. So I have always had a love of sport and I just had never thought about that as a career like in a marketing sense and, you know, I think coming from Holden, I took a year out and, um, and I got tapped for the, the Cricket Australia role to give it a, a go and I think for, for me what took me there was just that genuine desire to um, get more people to love sport. And what also took me there was, I guess, the the genuine desire that Cricket Australia had to really change the way that they position the sport, the way mm. that fans connect with the sport and the players connect with the sport. So going from one challenge in Holden <laughs> to another.
0: Well, it, I, one of the reasons I make the comparison is that, of course, Holden was sadly was yes. a, a passion brand of its own, and in its own way in Australia. Yeah. If you think about the heritage of Holden and also the sport association with Holden, um, that's kind of what led me to to make the link. But yeah. I guess um, sort of there was a thread of passion running through both of these brands.
1: Yeah, but quite different. Like yeah. I think the the passion levels are quite different. Working at Holden, seriously, I don't think I've ever seen customers as passionate about something is what I actually saw at Holden. And I think that was because, like, the time I arrived at Holden, it was about a year before local manufacturing was closing. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, the passionate Holden customers already knew that that local manufacturing of, you know, locally engineered, you know, Holden cars that are made for Australian roads, that are made Mm -hmm. for Australian drivers would no longer be and, you know, when you've had something for so long, you know, the history and tradition and icon of that brand, you know, those customers were hugely passionate about that and, you know, it, it's, it's a very different passion to cricket, you know, where, you know, your passion, um, you know, is following a story, following a game, the highs, the lows, you know, mm-hmm. the strategy the fun um you know and just that edge of your seat grouping so the the passion comes in i guess two very different ways
0: yeah, interesting and we're going to talk a bit more about that from a marketing perspective in, in a bit but uh, you know we've mentioned the P word for passion um let's just mention briefly the c word which i hesitate. i should add is COVID. <laughs> um, yes. marketing cricket in COVID. i mean we- we can say this about any brand or category, but of course you were with um, Cricket Australia through the inception and advancement of COVID and you know, which has marked and must have given you some sleepless nights, to say the least. Um what what were the were the primary challenges you experienced in, and and with, with COVID and and continue to and, and how did you attempt to resolve them?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's crazy to reflect back on that because it was pretty much like this time a year ago. You know, 80% of Cricket Australia were stood down, you know, for for three months um, and, you know, it presented a lot of challenges and, look, you know, cricket was no different to any other sport or any other business mm-hmm. or, or any other person, I think. It affected us all on a personal level um, and it affected us, you know, in our families and, and the change in how we had to live but also um, through work and, you know it was interesting because we'd just come off the back of um, T20 World Cup, you know, MCG, (sighs) 86,174, you know, people at that game, which was just absolutely incredible. And two days later we find out that there was a COVID case that was identified and then I think Richmond Carlton played on the Thursday night and that was the last time a sport was played for a very long time with no attendees, Um, there were a huge number of challenges notwithstanding 80% of the workforce being stood down, Um, you know, schedules and, and, you know, we had India coming out, we had um, BBL and those schedules are are done in advance, like a good Mm. six months in advance. Um, And so we were actually sitting there not knowing where we were going to play, if we were going to play, if we could get players into the country um, all of those things. So from a marketing perspective, I think um, the first thing that we did um, in July um, was we actually did a huge strategic piece because to just determine what, 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 what role could cricket play um, for the Australian public and the international public during the summer because we all know that our attitudes shifted, what we valued changed, mm-hmm. our behaviours changed because we were in lockdown, because we, you know, were uncertain about the future and that really required us to look at a lot of the insight that was, was coming out so we could actually work out what role could cricket play. Um, so that was the first piece of work that we did and that really helped us to determine the role that we could play was we could provide that light relief in a time of need. Yeah. You know, you had Melbourne that was in a significant lockdown, different parts of the country were so... You know, it was important that we could get those games on, no matter how we got them on. From a marketing perspective, communicating that um it's safe to attend. So there were significant biosecurity requirements in order to put the games on with COVID crowds, so so minimal crowds. And because we as a nation and as a I guess globally were still trying to understand what COVID was and being educated around it, it was really important that we were very clear in our communication of what was expected of a fan when they attended a game and and what we could do to provide that safe environment. And also, you know, the the data showed us that um, women and kids um, were uh, less likely to attend any live events um, and also multicultural um, uh, communities were less likely to. So for us, when we were thinking about those audiences, we really needed to to pivot and make sure that that safety and biosecurity layer in the communications was there. Mm. Um, I think one of the other things, I mean, we developed our uh, brand campaign for the season. It was all done remotely, first time ever. So we had our um, agency in Sydney. We had the director in Sydney. We had the production crew and the players in Adelaide, yeah. um, and then we were sitting here working off our laptops, um, signing off all the pitches. So that was quite a a different um, a different approach to to doing our marketing. But logistically, it was it was quite tough because everyone needed to be in biosecurity bubbles because you had players yeah. that they couldn't afford to get breached, otherwise they wouldn't have been playing. So it was a huge responsibility on us. Um, you know, if I think about ticketing, you know, ticketing is always a, a key objective um, when you have a season of cricket and we just didn't know whether we were going to have crowds or not. You know, yeah. there were some games where it was closed doors. There were games where we had we were allowed 10,000. There was games where we were actually allowed 60,000. So we had to really plan our media um, uh, really at short notice uh, where we would usually work on a four-month cycle. Mm. We were really working on a two-month sorry a two-week cycle so because we just didn't know and actually for the whole season we got away every game I think we moved maybe three BBL matches because some borders closed and we had to to move people around but I think we were incredibly lucky it was luck Uh, certainly wasn't through planning Um, but we had a lot of scenarios to work with um yeah, so it
0: was pretty tough. Look, it's, yeah, it <laughs> sounds like, well, luck and hard work, I think. I mean, I, don't, I think you're selling yourself short to just say it was completely luck. I think it's an amazing achievement to get all of those games away. I also think, and, you know, this is something as COVID has evolved with all of it, and it's the reason I asked the question about COVID, particularly in context of sport and sport marketing, the role that sport plays in society. Totally. Um, particularly Australian society. Yeah. Um, has always been strong, but the the uh, the ability of sport to turn people to help people with cope, you know, in, yeah. in this time. If I look at a lot of the sport around the world, the European football and, and um, the, the European football, the uh, Formula One, uh, cricket, the Olympics. This like, did you feel the pressure of that? I mean, it's almost like a responsibility. It's not like you're marketing blocks of cheese. You're marketing yeah. something that and and. Helping people to um, to attend these events that and it 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 has a real psychological boost for people.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think probably on two there's probably two aspects to it because like COVID when that started in March and um, through that period, so we you know our domestic season would not start until September October with the women's and then move into the men's, but there was that period of time where we were not playing you know, and yet you had the majority of Australians were, you know, they were indoors, they were at home. And, you know, if you can think back, you know, we created new traditions at home. We were doing things in our family unit that we have never done before. We got back to basics. Mm. We found our community, our immediate community. Like, you know, you, you knew the people in your street. You know, we didn't know the people in our street before. Um, You know, you knew your local butcher and you went to the local fruit shop as opposed to going to the big supermarket. So there was that real sort of sense of community. What cricket also did was to really, on two fronts, um, we actually um, created, you know, we we played some of the most iconic Australian games that have ever been, you know, Mm. so people could actually enjoy those. We... You know, we banded with the players because the players were in. You know, they were in lockdown of too. Course. And yeah. you know, showing and sharing that the players, um, you know, have have their own struggle struggles, whether it's mental, physical. You know, it's you know it was Marnus Labashang in his shed. You know, doing some exercise and keeping fit and that sort of stuff and posting it. So, you know, so others were doing the same. You know, our community cricket team were. Um, developing video content pieces for parents so they could get out in the backyard with their kids. And, you know, you don't need a bat and a ball. A rolled-up piece of (laughs) newspaper and a taped um, tennis ball will do the trick. And so even through those periods where we weren't actually playing, cricket still had a role to play in the home and in the community. And, you know, I'm incredibly proud of the work that cricket's done um, in that space. And I think... You know, the one thing cricket did, and yes, there was luck that played in it, but just that um, unwavering determination last season to make sure that a game could be played. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was a lot of planning. There was a lot of scenario planning, you know, getting players on planes, moving them here because it's really important to get that game on TV, you know, so everyone can actually enjoy and feel a sense of normality and a sense because we hadn't had that.
0: We you know really and am. that's yeah. and that's
1: what I think cricket does it gives you that sense of summer it gives you that sense of um, there are things that we were craving normality because everything was so different
0: So that's getting us back to passion isn't it and yeah you know, we, we mentioned it a bit before and I, you know we've talked also about both of you know the last two roles that you've had being passion brands but I want to get on to talk a little bit about that in a marketing context you know yeah. the natural assumption I guess would be that marketing to passion brands would be both massively enjoyable, which I think I mean you said whilst very hard work, it's you yeah, clearly have enjoyed it. it. Um but almost like a relative like and I'm helicoptering out of COVID again now. I'm yep. just talking more generally. Yep. But you know almost like a sort of a breeze. You know, all these people just want to come and come and be with your brand. <laughs> and you know, I'm sure it's I'm sure it's not as simple as that. So I'd really like to get your balanced perspective on on the opportunities, but also the barriers um Of working with brands, or some of the challenges of working with brands in which your consumers are so heavily invested. Yeah,
1: it's interesting. I like I look at Holden. I'll talk about Holden for a moment because that is so. There's so many similarities, but there's a lot of difference um, between Holden and um, passionate customers and then passionate fans of cricket. But you know, as I mentioned before, the closing of local manufacturing um, and. You know that that grieving, I guess, of those passionate um, customers was a bloody challenge because, mm. you know, you suddenly had um, European-made cars that had a Holden badge yeah. put on them and sold in Australia, and that's not only a marketing challenge, <laughs> yeah. that's a business challenge. Yeah, totally. You know, like how do you how how do you encourage? Um, you know loyalists who have, you know, blood, sweat, and tears. You know have 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 bought and 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 have these Holden's and part of history, and it's all of, and pe- the reason people love it is it's because it's Australian made. It's mm. for our roads, and our roads are very different than anywhere else. Like that 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 was a really really tough position that GM had in trying to get those loyalists or could keep those loyalists within the brand. Um, I think that the conundrum there really was you had this declining generation of loyal, passionate customers, right, that were never going to accept an overseas car with a badge on it. But then on the flip side, you had this portfolio of cars that were for every customer. There were SUVs, there were small cars, there were Mm. medium cars that um, actually opened up Holden's opportunity to actually talk to women, to talk to you know students, yes. to talk to the family um, but probably didn't really um, well, they they actually didn't really take that opportunity and probably left their run too late. and
0: You've literally t- sorry yeah. to interrupt your flow there. You've literally taken the words out of my mouth. You know, did they did they try and make yeah, that shift too late? Def- because they obviously they would have wanted to hold the diehards and bring in women yeah, and younger people. And totally. Those. And
1: that that journey doesn't happen overnight. No. Like that takes time, and it's all like you can't be all to everybody, and you know. And I think there was always that conundrum of you know we can't piss off the loyalists. But we need to, um, you know, we need to appeal to this new generation of, of people that we actually have products mm. that we can actually, um, we can actually talk to. But, you know, for, you know, there, there were discussions. Do you just actually retire the Holden brand? Yeah. Like, is that challenge, way too big, to try and bring those loyalists um, across mm. into the new world, um, or do you launch a new? holden uh, sorry a new brand you know a new car brand which equally is a massive challenge within the industry in australia that has course, 60 odd incredibly different com-
0: incredibly uh, brand. competitive, so, right?
1: Yeah. yeah i mean both both challenges would have been um equally as as challenging but yeah i mean i i think the run was definitely left too late i mean but, we, we know
0: and but that's you know you're getting to the nub of what the challenge is there though there's this sense of you know you only hurt the ones you lo- you hurt the ones you love the most or whatever that that saying is, and when you've got a really invested set of consumers, that's great that they love your brand. But mm. also, it's so easy for them to hate your brand if you do something wrong or you know to, to feel personally. Yeah. But again, it's not blocks of I should say everyone in markets blocks of cheese. Blocks <laughs> of cheese are amazing, but you know it's 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 such a, if they're emotionally invested, of course, it can swing the other way so easily. Yeah. And I guess taking missteps is is much easier from a, a marketing perspective, you can get something wrong and really upset people.
1: Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, for for Holden, the, the challenge they had was they needed to remain relevant, you know, yeah. in a really challenging, um, uh, with a really challenging future ahead of them. And, you know, you, you actually can... You can do both. <laughs> oh, you so yeah, totally. Um, and I think that's where, you know, if I look at cricket, you know, cricket, I think about cricket in the last twelve years, cricket has innovated, mm. you know. And it's funny, you sort of go into cricket not actually thinking about that. But, you know, twelve years ago, you know, all people knew was twelve guys on a field playing test cricket. You know, now you have over two hundred and fifty odd um, male and female players, domestic, international of all nationalities, playing cricket, mm. which when you hold up all of those players and you face it back to the Australian public, like it mirrors the diversity in Australia. And I yeah. think it's a really beautiful and unique thing that cricket is. Like it it really is a sport for all. And you think about the BBL, you know, where BBL is coming into its 11th year, so just had 10 years, and it has brought a whole new generation of fans into the game of kids yeah. and mums and families and parents into a game that were never there before, mm. you know, and, I you know, I look at some of the other sports and and look at their year-on-year growth, and they're sort of, you know, they sort of up and down, but generally trend-wise, um, sort of pretty much the same. But cricket's just had this trajectory over the last 10 years and, again, I think it comes back to remaining relevant and actually understanding what the consumers want, like what the fan
0: wants. I, I also think as you were talking there, it was, I was just thinking a lot about not just the consumer but the Australian consumer. It's, yeah. It's great seeing like those comments on diversity and bringing in, you know, because Australia is becoming so much more diverse and bring, bringing in from the ground up in Australia... Right. Australians who may have originated from different places but are, are now getting into the game is amazing. On the flip side, and I'm going to state a personal opinion here, you need to d- agree or disagree, but on with Holden, it was almost, it, it felt, and I should disclaim, I mean, I'm, you know, Natalie and I have worked a bit together when she was at Holden, but it's it was almost the inverse in that, in that you had GM coming from a completely global perspective and either being not willing to or simply... Not able to grip what the Australian consumer wanted, who the Australian consumer actually was. Yeah. Because it's fine to say, oh, we're going to market to women, but well, it's, they're Australian women. They're not just, it's not, you can't just implant it in. Is that a fair?
1: Yeah, totally. A very fair assessment. And I think, um, you know, Australia, for, you know, in the realms of GM, Australia is such a tiny market. Of course. Right. So it doesn't command the significant um, thinking around that. You know, mm. it's like, oh, we're building this car in this country. We're going to badge it this in Europe, but let's badge it Holden in Australia. Mm. I mean, it's not so basic. There, there is some insight in that, but not specific to Australia. And, you know, and that, again, that is why Holden was so successful, because they engineered those cars unlike any other car in the From world the ground
0: up out into australia correct Absolutely. because the
1: roads that we have here are completely different so if you're if you're engineering a car in korea for korean roads and you bring it to australia you know it's it's going to feel and and behave and be very different yeah. so yeah totally agree
0: okay Let's switch gears. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about agencies. And the reason I, I mention agencies is that when we worked together at Holden, it was a, it was all about um, yeah. market tender and, and finding the right agencies to fit you um, at the time. Um, do you think? I mean, agencies obviously play different roles to different different organisations, and, and and it really did, there's a lot of factors in that. But do you think agencies are doing enough to evolve? Uh, to the changing needs of marketers and organisation? You know, what have you seen that's been great and what would really need to change in your experience?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, if I think even just sort of sitting here as a marketing professional, uh, you know, things are rapidly changing, you know, mm-hmm. for me. And, you know, for us as marketers, we're needing to continually keep abreast of what's going on. And that that's exactly the same as our agency partners. And, you know, and I think that you know the role of agencies. I think constantly evolves. Mm. Like it just, it just does. I think, I I think there is a degree of the success of an agency really comes down to the success of that partnership with your brand and with your marketing yeah. um, partners. And you know that for me is first and foremost. It's about that connection and having that trust and. Mm. Um, being able to have the real conversations, you know, like they're an extension of your team, you know, and so you need to have that element of trust and alignment, I think, as well. Um, And coming back to your point, absolutely, like the role of an agency is very different in different organisations depending on what your challenges are that you need to solve for. I think where agencies sometimes don't get a fair wrap is where they don't really get brought into the business. And how can you expect your agency partners to really understand and help you solve for those challenges that might actually not be marketing related, right? Um, but how can they really see or solve for that if they don't see anything beyond a brief? And so that for me is is really important to have that business. Um, relationship as well that you can share Mm -hmm. so beyond the strategy and the planning and the creativity and that sort of stuff but just having really good business discussion that actually might bring you to some marketing related outcomes that can actually start to solve Mm -hmm. for that I think that um the diverse the diversity of thought is is really important and you know, like I think about cricket and, you know, you have you have your creative agency, you have your media agency, you're working with the broadcasters directly, you're working with the sponsors directly, you're working with your content team in digital, you're working with the news and media publishers. Yeah. And... You know, and the thing when I sort of first came in, I'm like, wow, there's all these different relationships and all these different things going, pieces of work going on. Imagine what we could do if we actually were all together and actually working towards a common goal. Yeah. Um, The power of all of those uh, people in that room and the diversity of thought to actually deliver on um, a challenge or an objective is far greater than just thinking, Well, they're a creative agency. We're just going to give them a creative brief and get them to solve for that. And I think agencies need to be more open and willing to be just having those conversations that might actually not, um, might actually, might not actually arrive at an outcome
0: of a creative brief. Uh, Look, we could talk all day about this stuff. I mean, it's a really interesting assessment. Um, I I think. You know, it's really interesting you touch on organisational challenges. I mean, we were talking just before we started recording right, about some yeah. of the challenges in organisationally, whether it's data or, or Martech, and how that applies to different parts of the business. I think agencies would love to hear you say things like, like, well, you know, we've been brought in more consultatively, more for of yeah. thought. Um, but you're right; it is a flip. There's a flip side, which is that the agency has to have the integrity to not lead everything down to somewhere. The, 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 is, is within their immediate wheelhouse. Yeah, totally. And said that the agencies need to be paid in in such a way as that they're the, that thought and that time that they spend yep. is still is still compensated for. Yeah, one
1: hundred percent.
0: What I mean, this is probably quite a hard question to answer, but what in terms of how agencies get paid, what could change there to to help that?
1: Yeah, a couple of things. I've always. Um, uh, You know, one of the ideas I've sort of worked with or thought about and actually worked with some agencies is actually like absolutely everyone needs to be compensated, right? Mm. You know, nothing's for free in this world and, um, you know, you you have a set of partners around you that you value, right, and that you can work collaboratively with. And, you know, that diversity of thought and having those, at the end of the day, that diversity of thought, they're all wearing the same hat Mm. and that hat is for the client. Yeah. So, you know, it's about solving a challenge, right, and not knowing where that will go. So agnostically, um, how are we going to solve that challenge? You know, I I would love to, you know, lock, you know, six or eight people from different industries or di- different mm. agencies that are part of my network in a room for a couple of weeks. You know, here you go, off you go. I'll pay you for that, you know. Yeah. And and here's the here's here's the objectives. This is the challenge we're trying to solve for. Go and work it out, yeah. you know. And hey, I want to come in there with you. Yeah, look, <laughs> you know, agencies
0: would. I I I'd be amazed if any agency didn't would not want to be involved in in that sort of thing. I think when you know when we talk about compensation, I'm not necessarily talking about how much. It's more about the methodology behind it. So you know, a simple example. Let's take the example of a media agency who yes. is, is remunerated in very traditional way. So a small percentage commission um, and then a lot of uh, financially based KPIs sitting behind how cheap can you buy the media. That's not going to lead to objective transparency with that agency. Mm. They're going to have to because they're getting compensated based on buying cheap media. So naturally they're going to bend towards buying cheap media. Um,
1: But that's if if the relationship you've got with that media agency... Is, is like that is, is transactional, correct that's yeah, right. Absolutely. And if it's a partnership and there's shared KPIs and you have that trust at the table and actually that transparency and what that financial arrangement looks like, I think you can get to very different places.
0: So one of the biggest single challenges we try and solve when I'm working with clients on on pitches or assessments or whatever with agencies, is that absolute sort of? Um, there's often a break in organisations where you're you you have people like yourself saying exactly that, um, but then other people, whether it's procurement or someone else, saying, "Okay, that's fine. You can have that, but we're still going to pay. We're going to still going to pay the agency in that way, and we're still going to target them based on the cheap media. And we're still so there's a kind of it, it creates this kind of double level. Are we transactional or are we consultative or, or what are we?
1: Yeah. I. Uh, I. Yes. I think it comes back to having that common goal Mm. and I think it comes back to um, understanding and defining the role of each of those partners in actually actually providing that value. And I think if you have that at the fore, I think a lot of that stuff just falls away. I'm an optimist, but I I see it, right? I don't have those transactional relationships. Yeah. With my partners, that we that just doesn't exist. You know, it is, it's based on, you know, mutual uh, trust, um, known value, and um, partnership.
0: Like, yeah. That requires marketing leadership. It really does, yeah. and and it doesn't. You know, I think. Well, let's let we'll we'll put this recording out and then whenever you next run an agency pitch, I'm sure you're gonna have people queuing up. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have forty eight oh, agencies all, all wanting to all wanting to work with you, <laughs> which is not a bad thing. Um, so let uh, one of the you know, we're talking about agencies and, and, and we're talking about organizational challenges and we're talking about um um how these things all marry together. Um and it does lead kind of naturally into into um Data and creativity in marketing, and and the, the constant sort of assessment and 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 debate both internally in organisations and within and across the industry, and in, in you know in terms of the role data should play in marketing, there's conflicting opinions about the effect of data on creativity and how how those two things need to to marry up. And to be honest, you know in my experience, despite all the talk, very few of us are actually working walking the walk as organisations. You know, so again with passion brands particularly in mind, because yeah. that's where you've know where you come from most recently. What's your take on, on what the balance should be between the, the role of data in defining marketing and the role of creativity in bringing things to life?
1: Yeah, I, I'm big on the data train. So, you know, data absolutely needs to inform uh, the value we can create, right? So whether it's for our fans or customers, mm. Um, it's the insight that actually feeds into the strategy that feeds into the challenges you're trying to solve for, right? If you don't, you know, gone are the days of just intuitive marketing. Like, Mm. you know, fans leave signals for you all over the place because we live in a digital world. So as marketers, it's remiss of us not to pick up on those signals and be able to respond in ways that's actually going to drive value for the fans. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, for, so from that perspective, like, you know, I, I'm all for data. It doesn't come at the expense of creativity. I actually think it enhances the creativity and probably and actually opens your thinking and thought as opposed to how you actually can creatively respond versus thinking it's going to contract that you know and you know we've we've been doing or well, not we at, at cricket we've been doing a lot of um work in the data space and the customer data strategy over the last 12 months and you know even thinking about it at a participation level and you know i'll use my son Lockie as a good example you know he's 11 years old he plays at bowie sharks you know he's got his my cricket app so all of his stats yeah. you know every week is in the my cricket app and You know, so, you know, wouldn't it be, you know, I also know that he's an Adelaide Strikers fan, Rashid Khan's his favourite player, Mm -hmm. Um, and that's just basic info. So, you know, how do you creatively respond to that in a way that um, is going to make Lockie love the game even more? Well, you know, wouldn't it be great to be able to um, compare Lockie's stats to, say, Rashid Khan's stats? Wouldn't it be great for... You know, Rashid Khan to do a message for his birthday, or mm. just things like that. And if if you don't actually use the data, you actually can't open your mind to the creative ways in which you could actually um, deliver some yeah, sure, pretty awesome stuff. That's,
0: so yeah, I mean, and that, that 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 becomes about reactive content as opposed to let's just have one big idea. Yeah, um, totally. It's, you know, and that, and that's the way you feed. That's the way you feed your consumers, right? Yep. That's the, you, you make it tailored.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, I agree. completely agree. I think the biggest challenge, though, that we have and, you know, it's something that we touched on before is just around just the acceleration of, you know, the digitization of businesses, you know, acceleration of, um, you know, marketing tech and data capability in organisations um, that perhaps don't have you know that need the upskilling to actually understand the true benefits of of that and you know i think that's where a lot of businesses are grappling with at the moment of how they actually either start that journey and they're either starting from scratch or they're starting from you know a point where you know they may have a significant amount of legacy there that that really needs um, quite significant transformation to to move forward.
0: Yeah, we, we I mean again before we started recording, we were talking a bit about this, and and what I took from some of the things you said was that it, it, certainly with cricket, you you've sort of taken a sort of block by block by block by block, you know, building things up um, over time in terms of building a mark, and 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 sort of almost on the run, you are sort of you're adapting and, and sort of iterating as you as you go. Um, which seems inherently the the better way to do it because we see a lot of organisations who have tried it top down. So they've just in, embedded a, an enterprise system and then mm. sort of forgotten that no one actually knows how to use it or 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 bring it or bring that thing to life and and all the heritage stuff around it doesn't plug in properly. Yeah. Um, what's...
1: Yeah. I mean, it, you know, these things don't happen overnight, yeah, and you for need sure. you need to bring everyone on the journey because you know, and this again comes back to it's, you know, it's it's not a marketing issue. You know, it's not just a, it's It's business-wide, right? And, you know, it involves technology, it involves digital, it involves finance, it involves strategy, it involves yeah. marketing. Um, so, you know, it is an enterprise um, challenge that needs to be addressed. And, you know, you, you actually need to understand what the end game is that you actually want to get to before you work out the journey mm. to get there. And... So having that sort of iteration and understanding along the way of what those key milestones are, but it's really also important that you show at those milestones that there is that return, you know, on investment. And I think even more so now with COVID over the last 18 months, you know, a lot of organisations are constrained, um, you know, the the investment and and the um, investment in in those businesses and brands, everything, you you need to account for everything. So it's really important that you can demonstrate return as Mm. you are working through that journey because, you know, you're probably talking about a three-year journey to make a transformation like that, which requires resourcing, capability, upskilling, education, Yeah. it requires, requires people to sit, be change in the same management. roles
0: for a long time. And yeah. Do you do you feel that, um, and again, we're not talking about cricket or Holden or anyone here, just industry-wide, um, and again, I'm, I'm referring back also to things that we see from Trinity P3 working yeah. with organisations. Do you feel that there is sometimes an unfair degree of pressure placed on marketing to affect this digital transformation? Because it, you you're absolutely, I couldn't agree more. It's a completely enterprise wide thing but we hear time and time again you know when something goes wrong with well where's our customer data it's it's marketing that gets pointed at but at the same time marketing simply cannot uh, have all of the the blocks in place without without compliance from everyone else
1: yeah totally it's um yeah i think the pressures um on marketing over the years have become a lot greater i think that you know, the responsibilities uh, that marketing has around business growth, um, I think today, yeah. you know, more so than, say, five years ago, is significant. So, yeah, you know, marketing does sort of seem to get um, looked at from that perspective. But I think it also depends on how organisations are structured as to, you know, whether organisations see it, see it as being cross-functional or whether, you know, it should be driven from marketing. And I think, you know, again, as we, you know, think about some of the disciplines that marketing um, that has evolved in marketing, customer experience, for example, you know, that's not just marketing, Mm -hmm. you know, that is every touch point that that customer has with that brand. Yeah. And not everything sits within marketing. So, you know, everyone has a degree of responsibility at, around creating that consistent um, customer experience. So, you know, it has to be a cross-functional effort um, in order to get it right.
0: Yeah, agree. Couldn't agree more. And I think the more, the more organisations accept that, the better, quite frankly, because then it will be less talking the talk and more walking the walk. Yeah, but
1: I think that's where it comes back to the education, though. It like, does, you're right. You yeah. know, like it's hard for us to just keep up. Um, yeah. And I wouldn't sit here professing to know everything like my um, the last 12 months, you know, my um, intellect and and education around this space has been quite significant just with the work that we've been doing at Cricket. And, you know, I am really grateful for for that. Um, But there's a lot of marketers and a lot of businesses out there that aren't even thinking about Mm. data and they're not thinking about customer. And. You know, I think from, from that perspective, they're starting from a, a fair way back and um, I think CEOs need to be educated around the advancements in digital and data transformation and actually really thinking and looking at data as an asset um, yeah. as opposed to the actual business and that is a significant and fundamental shift in thinking for organisations to see true value in their actual data.
0: I think I think also that though I mean the, the martech industry may be slightly to, to blame for this, but the, I think there's always this sort of this sort of rush for the summit of what's absolutely on the cutting edge, um, and I think that can be distracting sometimes. And you know, going back to the sort of the block by block, let, let's build it up as best we can. Um, if you get distracted by that, it's, oh no, there's a new thing. Oh go oh, stop stop what we're doing. There's a new thing. We've got to go and do this now. Uh, that can be really detrimental or counterintuitive to just, okay, we've got what we've got, let, let's let just have a vision. Like you said, Like we want to get here, Yeah. let's do it in, in blocks. Do, do you feel, do, do you see that pressure or do you feel that pressure? It's I, something new every day, right?
1: Totally, there is. Um, but I think the key to that is knowing what success looks like and what do you need that technology to do yeah. and what do you, you know, what sort of value... Do you need to create for the business, but also for the customer, and you stay true to that. And there is, there's always a new shiny toy, you know. There's always something else, but you actually need to develop a plan that actually can um, live through those yeah. live through those advancements yeah. um, and changes and be able to adapt as as it needs to. But um, I certainly don't get stressed about it. We've had some very very good partners work with us. Yeah um that um you know are very uh clued up in this area and they're like don't be distracted by that yeah. what I'll we are doing what yeah. we are doing is the right thing you know yeah, for, for our business so
0: let's take one more switch of gears just a final switch of gears um I I I want to talk a bit about you, your last two roles have been with organizations and I'm talking organizationally here not just marketing if I'm speaking if I'm being a bit stereotypical I both Likely to be quite male orientated in terms of um, uh, historically the kind of people who who work there. Am I? Is that is that right or not? And a, as a female leader in these businesses, what's been the good, the bad, and the ugly from your perspective? And by okay. the way, I should add, sorry, <laughs> to, 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 before you start that answer, the fact that you just revealed at the start of this conversation that you've worked in a mine as well. I mean, I, you know, I'm thinking about cricket and cars. Yeah,
1: I think that's I where think I was. Like you've start. worked in
0: a mine for crying out loud! I think. Yeah,
1: that's where I was actually going to start. Fair enough. Yeah. I think. You know, in the uh, in my early twenties, you know, working in a mine in a remote part of Northern Territory, it
0: must have toughened you up.
1: Where maybe. the ratio of men to women was thirty to one. Wow, absolutely is where um, I was. Yeah, it's where it's where I learnt how to um, handle myself. It's where I learnt to be able to just talk and work with different people Mm. you know you had people from all walks of life that lived up there and it was a fly-in fly-out scenario and you know so you had the the miners but then you had the executives that ran the mines and the Mm. contractors and all that sort of stuff so you know as a young female I you know, I was thrown into this environment for four and a half years. You either sink or swim, and I swam. And you know, so for me, so for me, working in cricket or working in Holden, <laughs> so, I'm like,
0: I don't know what the challenge is there. Yeah, yeah
1: to- so. totally. So, you know, and I, I equally don't want to stereotype, right? But you know, you there are always situations that you come across that just again, you sort of think, yeah, that's not quite right um I think I think Holden had um, certainly had its challenges and particularly um, working with the dealer network I was, yeah. And you know, yeah. and ag- again, you know it's that's just what they grew up with, right? And yeah. you know that you have multi-generational um, dealerships um, and families that have, have had dealerships for years and then the sun comes through and then so, you know, you had 20% of those dealerships that were really diverse and, um, you know, really embraced change and were quite progressive, I guess, and then probably the 87% that didn't. So, you know, as a female marketer, you know, you would often be put in situations where, um, you know, you just... um, A female with a voice that no one's sort of really listening to and then other times you know you would be heard and i don't take it personally i am a i'm confident um i can certainly hold my own and um if a situation um presents itself i've no qualms in um you know in in suggesting my views on that situation so you know i think that for me is gained respect whether it's working in the mines you know I've still got I've got friends now still that live there and they're like oh my god I can't believe you've worked you know you work in corporate and you work in sport god I used to wear a mining hat and steel cap boots you know yeah. like that they, That they, they, they can't believe that I've sort of changed you know industries whatever um but yeah I think uh, I think you're always going to come across situations where um, you're challenged, you know, women are seen as, um, you know, emotional and empathetic, you know, because we are empathetic um, human beings. I'm not saying that men aren't, they they certainly are as well. But, you know, if I think about me personally, I'm a, an emotional marketer. Like I, I'm really passionate mm. about what I do and that comes across in everything that I do, whether I'm in a meeting um, or whether I'm with my team and so... You know sometimes that passion is um joy and sometimes that sometimes passion's not, not. and that's okay because I'm just yeah. being me um so yeah I think you know I think as a society we've got a long way to go I think there's always going to be those um you know times where you're correcting someone to say yeah my name's not love it's Natalie thank you yeah um but I don't see <clears> much <throat> of that you know I, I I did used to see it in some previous roles. I don't really see much of that stuff now.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. I'll, I'll, in fact, I'll come on and ask you about that. I think you know your experience in the in the mines. Geez, that would have toughened anyone up, let alone. I mm-hmm. mean, times it by a thousand for the one female in thirty. Um, and and it's really interesting to hear you say how that's how that's sort of helps shape you in oh, in some ways.
1: I am. It's fun, like you know, I grew up in a little small country town, um, and I am so different today to the pers- to you know, to the young woman that I was yeah. when I left Seymour. And, you know, again, I think it comes down to my experience in, you know, diverse industries, um, different careers. Mm. You know, I, I honestly think that that and that just provides that sense of comfort and confidence in whatever situation I guess that I'm I'm put in.
0: Do you think, I mean, sort of Coming back down into the into our industry specifically, and you know, yeah. talking about some of your experiences, I mean, the dealer network—that's interesting. I've yeah. I've heard similar. In fact, we won't go into them, but some pretty horrible stories about yeah. dealer networks. I've yeah. I've known other females who've worked in them, but um, from a, from a marketing industry point of view, how much progress do you think has been made in the last few years? I mean, you, we have seen an increase. I wouldn't say that anything's even close to being right, frankly, but we've seen some advancements in. We're seeing more female leadership, particularly on the agency side, actually, more female leadership, which has been um, positive. You mentioned the sort of, you know, my name's not love dying out a little bit. But where do you think we still need to get to? How much progress has been made?
1: I think that, um, well, short answer, not enough.
0: Yeah, fair enough.
1: Um, Not enough and not quick enough. Yeah. and I think that you know you know just even in my if I, it, just thinking about my more recent experience and with cricket and you know coming into cricket, you know I sort of I, I did I had a preconceived perception that there was just lots of men that worked in cricket, but I couldn't have been couldn't have been further, further no. from the truth and it wasn't that at all and coming into cricket there were, these amazing smart women in senior leadership positions there, there were amazing smart players and it was just completely um, different to what I thought it would be coming into cricket. And I sort of, when I came into cricket, I felt like I'd found my peeps, Mm. um, which was quite good. Um, and I think why well, I loved it so much there. And there's a hell of a lot more that needs to happen, certainly in in leadership positions um, and senior leadership positions. And I think, you know, if we think about where we are today and um, flexibility and, you know, the, the shifts in how we live and what we value and, and all of, all of mm. those sorts of things, um, there's more we need to do to to give a leg up, I think, um, and support the women around us. Um to make sure that there is is more there standing more. beside us,
0: yeah. I think I'm bringing this conversation full circle because I'm conscious we've gone oh, way over time. This is you're just too <laughs> interesting to talk to. I think um, bringing this conversation full circle. I think there's a massive role for sport in yes. some of, and I'm sort of t- t- talking ground roots up. Yeah. Um, you know, I've it's been really interesting to see, and there's been some horrendous mistakes and horrible things along the way, um, but the um, improved. Um, what am I trying to say? The 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 um, perception of women's sports, the WAFL women's cricket, and the exposure that they're getting now is oh, slowly, totally. slowly, slowly getting there. Mm. Um, and I think you know, if you think about young girls coming up through that, I think sport can play a really good role in inspiring leadership and and oh, getting them to understand what it is to be a leader.
1: Totally, but also just role models. Yeah, you know, just good role models, and that's you know, cricket has so many of them, and. You know, there's, you know, I, it's, I'm it's, i proud of cricket as a sport in, you know, what it's done to really um, put women in sport on the calendar and knowing a lot of the initiatives that they're working on, mm. you know, even at a grassroots level and, you know, how do they address some of the perceptions that girls have when they come into sport? A good example is um, when girls are young, you know, between that five and seven, they like the individual sport, whereas boys like team sports. So mm. that's why boys play other the team sports and, you know, girls are getting into gymnastics and, you know, all of those sorts of things. And, you know, cause that's, you know, they like the individuality of that. And, you know, girls, um, you know, girls coming into team sports, they have, um, a whole, uh, different raft of, um, insecurities and concerns about being in a team sport. Whereas a boy just sort of goes in and he does that. And, you know, cricket's, cricket's going how do we actually bring down some of those barriers? How do we change the game of cricket? How do we make it more inclusive mm. and welcoming with, without worrying about um, changing the sport because they're yeah. actually changing it but it's to actually bring more people in and, and to bring more girls in. So, yeah, I think, I think cricket's done some great stuff but, I, you know, you look at soccer, you look at just sport in general, like, you know, and even just the recent Olympics, like, you know, the women are killing it. Oh, they,
0: they are. And it's my, great. I mean, funny, it's, it's interesting you talk about young girls. So my, my daughter's nine and we've really – we've and she has been quite reticent. And I think yeah. for some of the reasons you mentioned, we, we've really, really tried to encourage her um, without being too pushy about it to take on to, – to, to try a team sport. And she's just taken on basketball and she is absolutely loving it. Loving it, it. Just yeah. loving it, loving yeah. being in the team, loving yeah. – when she gets made captain for the day loving when she's so good. you know she's calling some of the shots in in in, in training and stuff she, honestly really really loving it and um that's been that's the role of sport right there
1: it's just about building she's gonna learn com- from that right confidence, there. yeah that that was one one of the thing is um girls find it intimidating um walking out onto the pitch to yeah. bat.
0: wow because
1: you're going out on your own yeah and so, you know, like you'd, you'd never even think about that, right? Yeah. And, well, as as a woman, I'm like, oh, yeah, I probably would too if I was a young girl. But, you know, th- how do we actually bring the batters out together so they're mm. not, you know, so just all of those little things to just try and, you know, try and address some of those challenges to get more girls into sport, um, you know, it's really important.
0: Awesome. Hmm. Uh, I've loved talking to you today, it's been great. Um, let me just very quickly ask you about um, the future. Um, yes future of marketing at, within business. We've sort of touched on quite a lot of this, but everyone seems to have an opinion on what a CMO or a head of marketing should be doing, um, and, it, and that, that makes a laundry list. Yeah, you know, everyone, everyone has a different opinion. What do you think, I mean, if, if there were three things that marketing should focus on in the future, a marketing leaders should focus on in the future, Yeah. Um, one of the biggest things that you need to get your head around.
1: Yeah, the biggest thing to get your head around for me is certainly you know GDPR and these new data protection laws. Oh, like yes. that is
0: it's massive. It's massive. <laughs> it is.
1: It's massive, and it's just quite dry.
0: Profound implications, though. But right?
1: significant implications, and I think just that growing individual control of your own data is absolutely going to change mm-hmm. the way marketers think about, um, how they market and, you know, I think that there's a lot of, again, education, um, you know, marketers really need to get in underneath it and actually understand what those implications are for business. But I think there's that element of, um, uh, building the trust Mm. with your customer, you know, and providing that value. Because it's the only way you're going to be able to have um, yeah. access to the first-party data that customers are going to hold on themselves, and with a click of a button, it could be see you later. So, I, you know, that that is on the horizon. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all marketers need to be having that at the forefront um, today, because that quickly that will quickly happen over the next sort of twelve to eighteen months here in Australia.
0: Trust only comes with time. Yeah. And and and. and Therefore, you can't kick the can down the road, right? Yeah. Because when it's honest, then that's it.
1: Yeah, totally. Uh... The other one for me that I um, I grapple with, um, not grapple with, it's because I'm not a kid anymore. I'm, you know, um, is is just the youth of today. You know, like <laughs> the youth they, of today. Just engaging. Are you not
0: down with the kids? Is that what well, you're trying to tell me? Well, you know,
1: I've got a couple of kids, but <laughs> just um, engaging with kids of today, like. You know, a nine-year-old or a 12 or 14-year-old kid today is very, very different to what we were at that age. And their influences are so significantly different. The way that they spend their time is so different to us. Like we just used to be out on the street playing cricket, you know, riding our skateboards, whatever it would be. You know, I might read a book before I go to bed. Now, like, you know, that is it, it, there, yeah. there is a hundred other things that these kids are um, influenced by and, you know, just the the rise in gaming, the rise in um, online time and what they're doing on, on and their influences, who influence them. It's really hard to get to them. You cannot get to them as a marketer mm. unless you really actually understand them and know them and then tap into what they're interested in. Yeah. So that for me is is one that I'm, you know, actively learning more about. Obviously, I I have two children at home that I see every day how they are, but I think as marketers and particularly older marketers, um, we really need to get a handle um, on, on that younger generation. They're conscious. They're all about brands for good. Yeah. Um, it's all about social cause, participation in sport, traditional participation in sport is declining. Their interests in gaming, their interests in pop culture, music, fashion, all of those things, they're far more influenced by that today than what we ever were. So it's about finding how to get to them in those areas in a relevant way Yep. good luck <laughs> yeah, good
0: luck i believe that children are our future there, there's a good place to end that's um,
1: right
0: it's been an absolute pleasure Thank thanks you. so much
1: yeah no worries thanks david